Edward Sanford Martin, an American writer, really powerful phrase. He said, Thanksgiving Day comes by statute once a year. To the honest man, it comes as frequently as the heart of gratitude will allow. You notice that? The heart of gratitude. And the reality is for us as followers of Christ, our hearts have been changed by Jesus. He's changed us from the inside out. In fact, the writer of Proverbs would remind us that that the heart is the wellspring of life. Everything begins here. If gratitude is going to characterize our life, and I believe that it should, it has to start with a heart transformation. We have to live as the transformed people of God. The, you, you think back on some of the horrific events of, our, of the past, especially in the 20th century, World War II was just a horrific, a horrific part of our history. Two individuals, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the first, a theologian, a German theologian who stood up against the atrocities of, of Nazism, he eventually lost his life in a death camp. And listen to what, or look at what he wrote. He, he wrote, it is only with gratitude that life becomes rich. I've had the, the privilege of being or, or visiting some of the death camps in Europe. And I'm telling you, it's beyond it's beyond imagination what happened there. And to know that he was in the midst of all of that, but yet in the midst of it he can say, it is only with gratitude that life becomes rich. How do you do that? How do you do that? Elie Wiesel, was, he, he survived the death camps. He was Jewish. He's not a follower of Christ. To my knowledge, I've read some about him. I don't see that in his, in his history. I know he, is a devout, he was a devout Jew. Listen to what Ellie wrote. He said, when a person doesn't have gratitude, something is missing in his or her humanity. A person can almost be defined by his or her attitude towards gratitude. Now, I think about that. How is it possible that individuals who endure such difficulty, how is it possible that when circumstances of life go so counter to anything that we could ever have hoped or imagined, how can we remain grateful? Well, I would suggest once again, it's because our hearts changed. There's an attitude in our heart that reflects gratitude. It really should be a part of our faith identity. It should be a part of our, our DNA as a follower of Jesus Christ. And let me just say, we as followers, if you know Jesus this morning, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you and I should be the most grateful people on the face of the planet. There should never be any reason that we would have to be convinced to show gratitude. Why? Because Jesus has done so much for us. He's done so much for us. We have reason to be thankful. Paul writes in Ephesians, the fifth chapter, in verse number 20, he says, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I think about those words, always, always, and for everything. You see, when Paul writes that verse, there's some things that precede it. In fact, 
from about chapter 4, verse 17, following to, the, to this particular verse, he talks about individuals who are living as children of light. In other words, people who have, who have, whose lives have been transformed by what Christ does in one's life. And he would talk about things like, if this, if this is who you are, then you're going to put off your old nature. You're going to have a renewed mind. You're going to put off falsehood and you'll speak truthfully. You'll, be, you'll beware of unrighteous anger. You'll be careful how you speak. You'll eliminate behavior inconsistent with, with godliness. You'll imitate God. You'll be careful how you live. And then he adds this in verse number 18 of chapter 5, and he says, and you will be filled with the Spirit. Then, he says, gratitude. Something follows with this infilling of the Spirit. In other words, when God gets a hold of, of our hearts, when our lives are truly transformed from the inside out, gratitude becomes a more natural expression of our heart, regardless of that which happens around us. But there are some things that prevent gratitude from happening. The first would be selfishness. You know, let's just be honest. Selfishness is kind of the all-about-me attitude. Now, I'm gonna, we're going to do a little experiment this morning. If you don't think that we had a little about all-about-me today, it's already happened. I wonder... Did anybody look in the mirror this morning? Virtually everyone. Even if it was just for a short moment, you went, oh, I don't like what I see, or wow, I like that. That's, that's pretty good stuff. Regardless, we had an all-about-me moment. Why? Because that first vision in the mirror then determines what we do next. So we have a little bit, and that's okay. It's just kind of the way life is. I get it. But selfishness, selfishness can keep us from it being individuals who are grateful. There's simply no room for gratitude when we're selfish, when it's all about us. John Ortberg, who pastors a great church in the Bay Area, he said, gratitude is the ability to experience life as a gift. It liberates us. I love that. It liberates us from the prison of self-preoccupation. You see, when we're grateful, we're not thinking about us. We're thinking about the blessings that we have enjoyed. We're thinking about all of that which God has gifted to us. Second thing is comparison. Comparison. You cannot compare yourself, your stuff, or your circumstances and still be thankful. You see, when you compare yourself, comparison is a kiss of death to gratitude. If I start comparing what I have, if I start comparing what I have with what someone else has, I'm no longer grateful for what I have. Once again, hear this again. If I start comparing what I have with what someone else has, I'm no longer grateful for what I have. Advertising agencies are going to spend hundreds of millions of dollars between now and the end of the year to convince you that what you have is not sufficient, that you need something else. And I get it. I understand it. And we'll all probably have something new in some form or fashion by the end of the year. But what happens is we compare with others and we don't have what they have. Therefore, we're not grateful for what we have. And the reality is you and I have so much to be thankful for, even in the realm of material things. Maybe I don't have everything I want, but I will tell you I have everything I need. And God is the one who has provided. I don't want to compare myself to anyone else. Third thing is bitterness. Is bitterness. Bitterness is holding on or, or showing feelings of intense animosity 
resentment or a vindictiveness. It's being merciless, unforgiving, and holding a grudge. You cannot, you cannot be grateful and be bitter. They're they're counter, they're counterintuitive. They, they, They are opposites of one another. Hebrews chapter 12 says, Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. What is so interesting about that, the poison of bitterness. When our systems are poisoned, everything about us becomes toxic. How are you grateful when we're toxic? Because then we're back to being selfish. It's all about us. But when we compare ourselves to others and we become bitter, this root grows and grows and grows and erodes the hearts. But if we are filled with the Spirit, we are able, we are able to be thankful always and in everything and for everything. So this main thought for today, I am committed to growing in gratitude. If we could just walk away with this today, just committed to growing in gratitude, that's all. God help me grow in gratitude. There's a great story in the book of Luke that we're going to talk about for a few minutes today about gratitude. It's found in Luke the 17th chapter, and beginning reading at verse number 11. And before I do this, I'm going to use, we're going to use the message this morning as, as the portion of Scripture. Now, there's a couple of, why do I want to take just a minute with this? The message is a paraphrase. And when you're talking about different Scriptures, different translations and paraphrases, you'll notice week in and week out, I use different translations from time to time to enrich the language to help us understand even more clearly what the Scriptures talk about or, or are sharing with us. And so there are really two, there's two things to look at. A translation has been the original languages of Hebrew and Greek and Aramaic have been translated into English. A paraphrase is someone who has a grasp of the, of the, nat, of the biblical languages but then begins to just share how they are reading it to give texture, to give an understanding to that passage of Scripture. That's what Eugene Peterson did in the message. There's a difference between a a translation and a paraphrase. This is a paraphrase. But he does some things with the language that are really significant that I want you to catch. Luke chapter 17, verse 11. It happened happened that as he, now this is Jesus, as he made his way towards Jerusalem, he crossed over the border between Samaria and Galilee. He entered a village. And ten men, all lepers, met him. They kept their distance but raised their voices, calling out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Taking a good look at them, he said, go show yourselves to the priests. They went, and while they were still on their way, they became clean. One of them, when he realized that he was healed, turned around and came back, shouting his gratitude, glorifying God. He kneeled at Jesus' feet, so grateful he couldn't thank him enough. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus said, we're not ten healed. Where are the nine? Can none be found to come back and give glory to God except this outsider? Then he said to him, get up on your way. Your faith has healed and saved you. Jesus, thanks for your word. Speak to us and help us grow our gratitude. In your name we pray. Amen. Four things about gratitude this morning. The first is this, and growing it. first is this. Gratitude's focus is Jesus. Gratitude's focus is Jesus. There's no doubt when you read this story, these 
10 individuals. They're lepers. Leprosy is not something that we find much any longer. But in the first century, you have to understand a few things about leprosy. Leprosy was incurable. And being incurable, there were certain laws put into effect by the law of Moses that if you had leprosy, you had to stay at a distance. And you had to tell everybody you were unclean. You would yell out. That's why you, that's why you hear this. They're at a distance and they're calling out to Jesus. So not only were they required by the law to inform others that they had this disease because it was highly contagious. The second, another part of this is that they were excluded from community life. They could not be involved in something like this. They, they were always on the outside. They were away from everyone. In addition, not only was their community life segregated, their worship life was non-existent. They could not gather and worship like we worship today. It was not possible. The law forbid it because of the contagious nature of their disease. This man is one out of ten who receives a healing. And and as he comes back to Jesus, what does he do? He comes back to the one who, who started this whole process. His focus, his focus is on Jesus and what he had done for him. And he was grateful to Jesus. And you and I should be the same this morning. Our focus of our gratitude needs to start with what Jesus has done in our lives. Jesus has done some amazing things in every one of us in this room who know him as Savior and Lord. Amazing. Our focus of gratitude needs to start with Jesus. Listen to what the psalmist writes in Psalm 103. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins, heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Can I just stop and say for a moment, Jesus Christ is the one who has forgiven all of our sins. He heals all of our diseases. He satisfies us. He redeems us. He is the one who has done so much in our life. He is the focus of our gratitude. When everything When everything in life goes sideways and you still have Jesus, you have reason and I have reason to be grateful. He's the focus of our gratitude. I'm grateful for that. You see, recounting, recounting what God has done, recounting what God has done builds faith and energizes gratitude. And I would encourage you, when things begin to seem like they're just a little bit more difficult than normal. Stop for a moment and just say, Jesus, thank you for forgiving all of my sins. Start with that. Start with that. I've said this many times over the years. If God doesn't do one more thing for me, he's done enough because my sins are forgiven forever. And I have life, life abundant because of Jesus. Begin to recount what God has done. Romans eleven thirty six 36 says, For everything comes from Him. Everything comes from Him and exists by His power and is intended for His glory. All glory to Him forever. Everything that we have comes from Him. Our focus for gratitude needs to be on Jesus. Second thought is that gratitude should be the rule of life and not the exception. It should be the rule of life and not the exception. 
Now, I don't want to do damage to the text here, but I find something very fascinating. There are 10 individuals who receive the healing that Jesus gave, but only one comes back. A 1 in 10 ratio of gratitude. Here's my fear. My fear is, is that I live my life on the side of the 90% and not the 10%. I wonder if you would agree with me on that. And, And don't misunderstand. It doesn't mean that I'm not grateful at the core of my life. I think I am. But I, I fear that I take so many things for granted in my life that I don't pause for a moment and just recount the good things of God in my life and say thank you. Can I challenge all of us during this season, but not just this season, to make this a regular habit of your life. Get up tomorrow morning and the first thing out of your mouth is this, thank you, Jesus, for another day. Thank you, Lord. If we would adopt a pattern of life of not being in the 90%, but in the 10%, to where we could flip that, that 90% of the time we're grateful. Wow, what a difference would it make in our lives? What a difference would it make? What difference, what a difference it would make in the lives around of those around us, our children, our neighbors, those that we work alongside. If they knew that no matter what happened, there was always this gratitude that just flows from your life because of the heart transformation that God has made. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 says, Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Jesus. You see, all circumstances rules out the 1 in 10, and it turns it. It should really be 100% of the time we should be thankful for what God has done. When my attention turns to God, and his ability to protect me and to provide for me, to heal, to restore and transform, transform me, then my gratitude ramps up. It becomes more a regular part of who I am. And I will tell you that when Marcy and I have walked through difficult times, and we have, and one of these days I'll tell you the whole story about a very, very challenging occurrence in our life that we, we were blown away. I want to tell you, when that was happening, my first response was not gratitude. My first response was, what's up with that? I, where did I see that? What in the world is going on? Why is this happening to me? This is not fair. Those are my responses. Now, I'm not proud of that, but that was reality. And, pro, and at that moment, I'm in the 90 percentile rather than in the 10 percentile. But you see, if I really want to know what the will of God is, and I cannot tell you how many times I have been asked that question, Pastor Gary, how can I find the will of God? What is the will of God for my life? There it is in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse number 18. Be thankful always, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. You see, the will of God can be found, and it starts right there. Be thankful. Be thankful. For everything. The 90% rather than the 10. The third thought is that gratitude requires humility. Humility. And uh, you see in this individual, he's a Samaritan. And when he comes back, the first thing he does, he kneels at Jesus' feet. Humbles himself. He realizes, I'll just say it this way, he realizes the source of his healing. He realizes the source of his provision. He realizes the source of his blessing. He realizes the source of his encouragement. And I wonder, am I, am I as quick to recognize the source of all the blessings that I have? 
We've already talked about that gratitude's focus should be on Jesus. And when I truly get that into my heart, I'll humble myself before him and I'll just say thank you, Jesus, because it is you who has done this for me. The second part that I see in his humility is just by his very, who he is. He's a Samaritan. He's already an outsider by his ethnicity. There was a real tension between those, between Jews and Samaritans. And even the fact that he is hanging out with nine, I, 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 I imagine Jews, I don't know, the text doesn't tell us, but there is, he's kind of doubly, he's kind of doubly ostracized from the community because of his ethnicity, but he still humbles himself before Christ, and he receives a great blessing. Humility in Scripture is meekness and the lowliness and absence of self. It's a willingness to acknowledge that, there's, that, that God has done something, that it's not all about me. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 5 says, God opposes the proud, but does what? Shows favor to the humble. I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm pretty confident which side of that argument I want to be on. I want to be on the favor of God's side. Humble myself. Gratitude and humility. And number four is that gratitude has extraordinary benefits. As I was preparing for the message, I came across a blog of an individual who made it very clear as he began to write in this blog that he was not a, he was not a follower of Christ, and this blog was not a faith-based or Christian blog whatsoever. He was very clear that's not what this is. But what he had done is that he had researched the benefits of gratitude from a scientific perspective. In other words, looking at medical journals and psychological journals to try and draw what benefits he could find about gratitude. He identified from the scientific community from about 1988 to about 2011 a minimum of 31 different benefits of gratitude. Some of those benefits are more friends. It boosts our career. Improves our marriages, makes us happier, creates resilience, and improves our health. Those are just some of them. Why wouldn't I want to be grateful knowing that there are tangible benefits because of my gratitude? But when I, when I go deeper than that and away from the scientific benefits or the medical benefits and I come back to the spiritual benefits... How much even better, how much greater? In, in the case of this leper, you notice Jesus said to the ten, they said, Jesus, help us, essentially. And what did Jesus say? Go show yourself to the priest. That was what the law of Moses prescribed. Jesus did not at that moment heal them. But as you notice, the text says, as they went away, they were healed. So there was an immediate benefit. When the leper who was a Samaritan saw what Jesus had done, he turned around, went back to him, and then Jesus said this to him. Get up. He would knelt down, remember. Get up on your way. Your faith has healed and what? And saved you. That's powerful. Why? In the original language, Eugene Peterson brings out this idea of salvation. Something has happened. Not only has he been healed, but there has been a radical transformation as he has responded to faith in Jesus. 
The other nine did not receive the full benefit of everything that Jesus was able to provide. And I would, sub I would submit to all of us this morning, I want everything that God has for me. Withhold nothing. And if gratitude is a way to tap into the greater blessings and benefits that God has, then bring it on. I pray that all of us would be in the same identical place. So as we commit, as we commit to growing gratitude, ingratitude, let's make it our default setting. Let gratitude be that which defines us. I've already talked about the fact that it should be in our faith identity. It should be our DNA. We should be people naturally grateful because of who we are in Christ. Romans chapter 1 and verse number 21 says, Yes, they knew God. They knew God. But they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. Can I just pause for a moment? Isn't it interesting? They knew God. They knew God. But they wouldn't worship him as God, even give him thanks. I never want to be in a place where I know who God is, but I'm not giving him thanks, and I'm not worship him, worshiping him. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. It seems to me that gratitude becomes a choice, a choice to live as a follower of Christ, who we are now, or, or, as our whole, or, or we live as our old human nature dictates, and I choose not to live that way. I choose to live in the newness of life and that what Christ has made me. So I want to accept this invitation. I want to accept the invitation to growing in gratitude. But how might we do that? How might we cultivate more gratitude in our life? I want to give you four things as we bring our time to a close this morning. The first is this. Slow down. Slow down. Last year I was driving home from Orange County. I'd been in a meeting and I was coming up to 15 and it, I got to Corona, came out of Corona, and it took me, outside of Corona, about two and a half hours to get home. And it wasn't because of an accident. It was because of the recent rains. And all the flowers had popped out on the hills. Now, first of all, I thought that was a little nutty. Because now people have literally stopped in the middle of the freeway looking at the flowers. But have you ever heard this phrase? Stop and smell the roses. What is that about? It's about slowing down and appreciating the blessings of God around you. Our lives are so fast and so hectic. I, I think sometimes the speed of our life, the intensity of our life robs us of those simple moments to just take a look and say, thank you, God, for the blessings around me. How many blessings are around you today? The roof over your head. Families at your side. The ability that you have to even just get here this morning and be a part of worship. How many blessings? We get so consumed with all of the junk and the pace of life just adds to it and adds to it and adds to it. And scripture is so clear. Psalm 46.10, be still and know that I'm God. Slow down. Slow down. Be grateful. The second is to write down. You say, well, that's a little odd. Not really. 
Martin, uh, Martin Luther said, Satan hates the use of pens. It's interesting to me. Why? You know, when you sit down and take a pen in hand, you're slowing down, first of all, right? Because in order to do that, you got to slow down. you got to slow down. you just got to stop. Take a pen in hand. Just begin to recount the good things that God has done in your life. And you say, well, Pastor Gary, I don't have any. Really? I can tell you one right now. Praise the Lord for all of his benefits. He has done what? Forgiven all of your sins. You need not go one step farther. Begin to write down, thank you, Jesus, for forgiving me of my sins. What happens? Changes things. Why does Satan hate pens? Because when we begin to write down that which God has done, and for the reasons we can be thankful, it begins to bring defeat to the adversary of our souls. When we recount the goodness of God. Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 2 says, And then God answered, write this. Write what you see. Write it out in big block letters so that it can be read on the run. Boy, does he know Southern California, huh? There it is. Write it down. The third is to settle down. It's a lot like slow down, I know. But I, I, I think I may have mentioned this in the past, and, and you'll probably hear me mention it another thousand times as long as I'm your pastor. My mother loved, loved her to death. She was a worrier. I'm telling you, this girl could worry. She was as good at it as anybody I've ever known. And I got her genes. DNA. I have the same DNA of worry. You might, and, and I understand that my grandfather, my dad, my mom's dad, had the same thing. In fact, my cousin called him a nervous Nelly because he was just always kind of anxious about everything. That was my mom, and I got that from her. I'm not, I'm not proud of it. That you know, you mean Gary, you're you're a pastor. You shouldn't worry. I know, still do. Because it's 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 wired, it's hardwired, and I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna make a I'm gonna make a guess here, it's hardwired into some of you too. But what does Scripture say? Don't be anxious about anything. I'm telling you, I know how hard that is. I, I I'm gonna say it again, and I want you all to look at me. If you haven't looked at me in a while, you know, hang on, just hang with me. I know it's not that great to look at, but just hang on. You've got it too. You've got it too. There, there's something within our natural old natures that draws us to worry. That's why Paul says it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, don't be anxious about anything. But, you know, if he just said, don't be anxious about anything and offered no solution to it, what would we do? He says, don't be anxious about anything. But, you ready for this? But in everything, but in everything, present your request to God. Ready with this? With thanksgiving. And the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard your heart and your mind in Christ. Jesus, hallelujah. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything. With prayer and petition, present your request to God. 
It takes giving. So we need to settle down. We need to settle down. And lastly, we need to kneel down. And that really is, I guess you could say in two things, but I'm specifically referencing humility. Because to be frank, to slow down, to write it down, and to settle down, it's going to require humility. You just have, we have to admit. I'm not going to say for anybody else. I just have to admit these things are a reality to me. I move just as fast as you, that, that everyone in the room does. I'm as quick to not write things down and recount the good things of God as you are. I'm just, I'm right there leading the pack when it comes to anxiety. I'm right there. I'm right there. And in order for me to move beyond that and to develop the attitude that I truly desire in my life to be thankful 100% of the time, not, or at least 90%, but 100%, that it characterizes my life, to grow in my gratitude, for it to be cultivated in my life, I've got to humble myself. Listen to what Scripture says. Humble yourselves before the Lord. And I purposely didn't add the last part. Because the last part says, humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will lift you up. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. There's something so dynamic and powerful when we cultivate more gratitude in our lives. My desire is that all of us would enjoy the benefits of gratitude all the time, in everything. Thank you, Jesus, for your word this morning. And I pray that in these few moments that we have left today as we come around the table of the Lord, we're going to express our gratitude to you for the most amazing benefit that any of us could ever enjoy. Full and free salvation. It costs you so much, but you offer it to us free of charge. Grateful for that. Let us cultivate more gratitude every day so that 365 days a year can be characterized as Thanksgiving 